Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, choir. What a wonderful music message we had this morning. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Glad to be here at First Baptist Church. Uh, just having the opportunity to be able to, to bring a message before not only those of you in the room, but the uh, ones who make me nervous, the ones that are on the broadcast, all the ones that are on the broadcast there. Uh, I was speaking with a couple of people right before the message, and they said, do you ever get nervous? And I said, you know, I didn't used to, but there's just something about knowing that that there's just, this is an artifact, you know, that will always exist. If anyone ever wants to go watch this, they'll be able to find it. It's out there. It's being broadcast on WBKO, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's on our Facebook page. It, it's everywhere, right? That's what makes me nervous. Not the actual talking in front of people. It's, it's just knowing that if I mess up, you guys will know forever, right? Uh, well, I come to you this morning, I just want you guys to know that I, I, I finally did it the other day. I finally did it. I became what I despised, right? I became what I despised. And it all happened in the same day, it seems. It seems like it all kind of happened in the same, really, just night. I was talking to some college guys. We had just got done playing some basketball. Uh, I, I enjoy playing basketball every so often. And we had just got done playing some basketball one evening. And they made the comment, yeah, I'm still sore from the other day, and this is where I did it. This is where I became what I despised. I said this phrase that I said I would never say, oh, you just wait, <laughs> right? I said that phrase, I said, oh, you just wait. It's something I'd promised myself I'll never do, and I said it. That same night, we had just finished up playing basketball around 10.30 p.m., right? 10.30 at night, it was a little late, right? We just finished up around then, and one of those, one of the same college guys that usually helps me with you stuff said this right here to me. They said, what are you about to do? Well, it's 10.30, right? I'm going to go home. I should have been home two hours ago and sleeping, right? I, that, that's what I'm about to do, you know? What are you about to do? I'm about to go home. I'm about to go to sleep. It's 10.30 at night. I've got work in the morning. Right? That's what I'm about to do. And he said, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm going to go to cookout. You want to go? And I said, it's 1030 at night. You know, I'm not supposed to eat after like nah, 730 p.m. Right? Not even a snack. I said, here's what you need to do. You need to go home, go to sleep, wake up early in the morning, have a bowl of raisin bran, good heart healthy for you, right? You'll forget that you were hungry. It was at that moment that I realized, oh no, I'm not young anymore, right? And I know, I know that me just about to say this phrase that, oh no, I'm not young anymore. I'm a father. I'm trying not to eat after 7.30 p.m. I take a daily vitamin. Uh, after I play basketball, it takes about three days worth of ibuprofen for my body to recover, right? I've officially hit this turning point in my life, and like I said, I know that me getting ready to say this, I just turned 29, right? <laughs> I know. I know what most of you guys are thinking. Oh, you just wait. <laughs> Right? I just turned 29, but I'm telling you, 
you can believe me or not, wherever you sit this morning, my body hit this turning point in my life. It just, it truly has. I, I pulled a muscle the other day while I was at the gym, but not while I was working out. <laughs> I was walking to the water fountain. <laughs> I was, I, I pulled a muscle. Every time I do play basketball, I have a new jammed finger or I have some sort of twisted joint going on. I legitimately know when it's about to rain because get this, my bad knee starts to ache. Try explaining that to a student in the youth ministry. Oh, we've got a storm coming. Well, how do you know? Because my knee's hurting, <laughs> right? I used to think that my, my mom was crazy when she would say that kind of stuff, but now I know. I've hit this turning point, and things aren't how they used to be. Things are just different, right? They're just different. They're noticeably different. And because things are different, I'm not going to return to my previous way of life. Because if I do, even at 29 years old, something is going to fail me. And at this moment, it's going to be my knee. <laughs> right? I think I'm on track to be the, the youngest knee transplant out there right now. This morning, we're going to look at a story of the Israelites after being led out of Egypt to what was supposed to be their freedom, what was supposed to be the promised land, but it ended up with them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. After being led out of Egypt, the Israelites hit a turning point. They hit this turning point, and if you would, go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter 21 this morning. Turn there, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 9. As you flip there, We'll give you just a little bit of backstory. This is right after, or this is, this is a little while after Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. They had already crossed the Red Sea at this point. They had already built their golden calf, worshiping a different uh, idol at this point. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, it says this right here, starting in verse 4. From Mount Hor they sent out by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your holy word. Thank you for this passage in Numbers chapter 21, and I just pray that anything else that comes from my mouth be of you and only you. We love you. We're thankful for you. It's in your son's lovely name we pray. Amen. 
So like I said, a little backstory. Moses had just led the Israelite people out of Egypt. He had just led them out by way of, of, of the Red Sea. They were captives. They were slaves in Egypt. And then he goes to Pharaoh. There's this big long, there's a big long list of plagues that happen. And the Israelites are led out of Egypt to no longer be slaves. And so they're led out of Egypt and they didn't stop complaining. They never stopped complaining. See, they get to the edge of the Red Sea. So as soon as they're dismissed from, as soon as Pharaoh says, you can go, Moses and he, he starts leading the Israelite people out of Egypt and they get to the Red Sea and all of a sudden they look up on the hillside and they see Pharaoh has chased them with his chariots. He's chased them down and they say, they, they look to Moses and they say, did the Lord just bring us out here to die? to be slaughtered by, by the Pharaoh's men right here at the edge of the Red Sea. And then the Lord does this miraculous thing. By way of using Moses, he parts the Red Sea. And we know it wasn't a sandbar. We know it wasn't some sort of lunar eclipse type of thing. And how do we know that? Because scripture tells us what kind of ground did they cross on? Dry ground. The Red Sea parts and the ground that they cross on is dry ground. The Lord provides a miracle. He does a miraculous feat using Moses. And they get over to the other side and they're just like, wow, that was cool. Now we're hungry, right? And so they look to Moses. And they say, Moses, did the Lord just bring us out here to die from starvation? Do we don't have any food? Did he just bring us out here to die from that? And so, so the Lord does another miraculous thing. He covers the camp with quail and provides manna that miraculously appears on the ground. And we know that that was a miracle from the Lord as well because the Lord specifically says, only take up a day's portion except for the day before the Sabbath. Then you can take up two portions on that day. And so when people tried to take up two portions, not before the Sabbath, the next day, it was spoiled, it was bad, it was no good. But when they listened to the Lord and they took up that second portion the day before the Sabbath, it was, it was good the next day. We know that this was a miraculous feat of the Lord. He does it again. So they're just like, wow, the Lord led us to the Red Sea. He's provided food for us, right? I've got an idea. Let's build a golden calf to worship that. So they build a golden calf, and Moses gets mad. He brings down the Ten Commandments and sees the golden calf and gets so mad he throws them down. Has to go up to the Lord and get more tablets made. Just a couple of, or literally a chapter before our passage that we're reading today, the Israelites get mad again. They, they, a chapter before this, they go to, they, they, they get mad. They say, Lord, or they, they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we're, we're thirsty. Did the Lord just bring us out here to die from dehydration? And so the Lord provides yet another miraculous feat. He tells Moses, go speak to the stone and water will flow from it. From a rock. You heard that right. From a rock. Moses is disobedient in that instance. He gets a little mad. He strikes the rock. But still, water flows from it. They're able to drink from this rock. Another miracle that only the Lord could have done. And in our passage today, we see yet again the people become impatient. And they say, I really like what they say here in, uh, in 
Chapter 21, they say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. You know, it, it reminds me of whenever I was a kid and I would go home and I'd be like, hey, what are we going to have for dinner? And my mom would say, well, we have food here at the house. But no, I don't like this food. You know, I want something different. Can we go get something else? I loathe this worthless food. They're tired of eating the same food. The Israelite people are worse than, and I have experience with it, so I can say it, they're worse than a bunch of teenagers on a road trip. Right? So the Lord responds, but he doesn't respond how he has in the past. He doesn't say, okay, let me fix this complaint one more time. He says, okay. Well, here's some fiery serpents. Good luck with those, right? He sends fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and it's recorded in Scripture that many die from the bites from the fiery serpents. The Israelites hit a turning point. They, they kind of stop complaining in this instance. They immediately go to Moses, and they say, you know, Moses, maybe that unleavened bread wasn't so bad. They say to Moses, we messed up. We've sinned against the Lord. Could you, could you talk to God? Could you talk to God? Could you ask him to take these snakes away? And here's the crazy part. The Lord doesn't take them away, but instead says when they've been bitten to look at this bronze serpent. And you'll live. It's a fascinating record that we see here in Scripture. Fascinating, really interesting. I have four points for us this morning. If you take notes or if you follow along with the notes that's been provided in the bulletin, this is where I would start. Point number one this morning. The people recognized their sin. And we see that in verse seven. The people recognized their sin. Verse seven says this, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent's from us. They don't go to Moses and say, why did he send these fiery snakes? They know why he sent the fiery snakes. They said, we've sinned. We've sinned, we've sinned against the Lord. We've sinned against you. Go to the Lord. Tell him we're sorry. Tell him we repent. They recognize that they've messed up. They had been ungrateful. They had been unthankful. They failed to thank the Lord for all that he has done. And in fact, They've really only complained about what he hasn't done up until this point. The great theologian Rihanna once said, just in case you're wondering, Rihanna's not a theologian. She once said in a song, I know you're only sorry you got caught. It's real easy to look at this story and have that mindset about the Israelites. You're only sorry because you, get, you got a bunch of fiery serpents running around or slithering around, right? That's the only reason you're sorry is because the, that now your actions have consequences. That's why you're sorry. And trust me, I am not a snake person. I'm not. I'm not a snake person. And someone can tell me, this snake right here, totally harmless snake. And I'll say, it's a copperhead, right? Might as well be a copperhead. In my, and that's just my, I, I'm not a snake person. Trust me, I would be in the camp 
I'd be compromising with the Lord. I'll do whatever you want, just take the snakes away. I don't like harmless snakes. I don't want to know about these fiery serpents, <laughs> right? So I get the temptation to say, yeah, they got caught complaining. There were some fiery serpents that were sent down. That's why they're sorry. But I want to challenge you to hear the context and the words in this passage this morning. The context is, is that every time in the past that they've been faced with an issue, they aren't repenting. They complain harder. I think it would have been more like the Israelites in the midst of the Lord's judgment to say this right here. You mean to tell me that you brought us up out of Egypt to die at the hands of a bunch of fiery serpents? Historically, looking at the Israelites, that's more likely what they were going to say. But that's not what they say. That's not their response. Their response is, yeah, we messed up. We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord. And you too, Moses. We've spoken against you both. They hit this turning point. A turning point that takes place when you're confronted with sin and the consequences of sin. In this instance, the consequence of sin is fiery serpents. When we recognize the consequence of, that our sin carries for us, namely, eternal separation from the Father, when we recognize the price that Jesus had to pay for our sake, namely, death on a cross, our response should be like the Israelites. Repentance. The Israelites, they have repentance. They recognized their sin. Point number two, Moses interceded for his people. Really short excerpt from the, from the passage this morning, the very end of verse seven. So Moses prayed for the people. Simply put, so Moses prayed for the people. Israel says to Moses, we messed up. Will you pray for the Lord to take these serpents away? And Moses prays for his people. He goes to bat for the Israelites despite them messing up time and time again. I mean, imagine from Moses' perspective here. He's been telling the Israelites this whole time, the Lord's going to deliver us from Egypt. He delivers them from Egypt. They get right to the Red Sea, and he says, the Lord's going to provide a way. And they start complaining. He provides a way. Pass through, on the, Red, pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get over to the other side. He goes up to talk to the Lord on Mount Sinai and get the Ten Commandments. And whenever he comes down, the people have said, well, we didn't know what to worship, so we made a big golden calf. I mean, imagine Moses. He has gone to bat for these people time and time again. And finally, the Lord said, okay, here's some fiery serpents. Deal with that. That's the consequence of your sin in this instance. And then they come to Moses and they say, we messed up. If I was Moses, that's, you think right? But for some crazy reason, Moses still intercedes for his people. This is where a lot of people would say, you've made your bed, now lay in it, right? But he doesn't. 
He goes to bat for his people. He intercedes on his people's behalf despite them messing up time and time again. I can still only imagine the conversation that took place, right? Okay, I'll pray to the Lord, but this is the last time. No more golden calves. No more complaining about the unleavened bread. Right? But he did it. Regardless of how the conversation went, we know that he prayed for the people because Scripture tells us so Moses prayed for the people. He intercedes for his people. He prays to the Lord. And we'll get to the importance of that here in just a minute. Point number three. God provided a way for his people to be saved. God provided a way for his people to be saved. This is absolutely beautiful. Verse 8 right here. And the Lord said to Moses, after, so, so Moses has prayed for the people. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Everyone who sees it, when they see it, they shall live. Verse 9, so Moses made the bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the Lord speaks this thing to Moses. Moses does what the Lord says, and it's proven, right? Not only does the Lord say, okay, we'll do this, but what the Lord said to do, it works. God provided a way for his people to be saved. But can I challenge you to think about this one thing this morning? He did not provide that way by taking away the snakes. He didn't take away the repercussion of their sin. They had to live with that. The snakes were still there. They weren't just disappearing, right? It goes back to our sin having consequences. We live with the consequence of our sin. It doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have grace for our sin, but we live with the consequences of it. I'll give you the easiest example I can think of. The easiest one. If you murder someone, the Lord's grace is sufficient for you. But if that's your plea in the courtroom, you're going to jail. You live with the consequence of your sin. The people say, take these snakes away. But it's notable that the Lord doesn't do that. He says, you might get bit. They're not just going to disappear overnight. But when you get bit, there's salvation. You can still live. You just have to look to the bronze serpent. You gotta look to the bronze serpent that has been set on a pole, and you'll live. See, as soon as sin entered this world, the world broke. It broke, a lion could no longer lay with a lamb without wanting to rip it apart. Disease, infection, natural disasters entered the world. It was no longer the good world that the Lord had made. It was no longer the perfect world that the Lord had made. Sin enters it and the world broke. And because of that, there are consequences of sin. When a believer is saved, they're not just immediately taken out of this broken world. We live in a broken world. And that's a consequence, that's a result of sin. But God sent Jesus to provide us a way of salvation. 
Which brings us to our last and what I believe to be the most important point this morning. Point number four. Jesus is infinitely greater than the bronze serpent. I hope that as we've gone through Numbers chapter 21 this morning, you're just waiting. Yep, Jesus is the bronze serpent, and he is. But he's infinitely greater than the bronze serpent. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. You've got your Bibles. See, Jesus is infinitely greater than the bronze serpent, and he, te- he references this passage in this historical uh, recording of a, with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. See, John chapter 3 has one of the most famous verses that a lot of people that don't even go to church might recognize. It's John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. Two verses before that, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And he references Numbers chapter 21. In John 3, verse 14 through 15, he says this right here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee who knows the Old Testament, and he references this passage. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, hey, you remember how Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness to save everyone who was afflicted by the fiery snakes? You remember that? In the same yet infinitely greater way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. But this isn't a fiery snake salvation, it's an eternal salvation for anyone who believes. We get that right there at the end of verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Moses interceded for his people and prayed to God to save his nation, to save the Israelites. God told the people, look to the bronze serpent and you will be saved. Church, in an infinitely greater way this morning, Jesus interceded for us on the cross of Calvary. He took our place where we should have stood condemned. And it's our promise that if we look to Jesus, our Savior, we will experience an infinitely greater salvation than the ones that the Israelites experience here in Numbers 21. See, they were being saved from a bunch of fiery snakes. Jesus offers us saving from our sin from an everlasting separation from the Father, an eternal salvation that only Jesus can offer. I gotta ask you this morning, do you know Jesus this morning? If not, I invite you to look to the Christ, the only one able to secure our salvation. Whenever, here in a minute, whenever, I, uh, whenever the, the music is playing and I'll be down front, if you need to talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus, I'll be down front. Pastor David will be down front. We'd love to talk to you about that. But if you know Jesus this morning, are you living out your turning point? Are you still returning to those old ways of life? Are you, st- you still got the golden calves in, in, in your life? 
Does your life look different than it did before you knew Jesus? What areas of life can imitate him even more? Because here's the thing, we can always do better. We can always do better. I'll tell on myself right now, right here. The other day I was over at The Rock and someone came in and if you don't know this about me, I like, I like sneakers, like, right, I like, uh, I like certain types of, like, like the sneakers, like right, the Jordans and, and that kind of stuff. And I had on a pair of sneakers and I walked into The Rock and there was a guy who, from my knowledge, doesn't go to church anywhere. Um, you know, there was, some, there was some talk that was going on that would, that would probably affirm what I thought there. And he looked at my shoes and he said, yo, look at those shoes, right? Like, look at those. And I was just like, yeah, we had a 15-minute conversation about shoes. He asked me what I did. He asked me what I did. He opened the door for me to tell him, oh, I work at the church right over here. You should come check it out sometime. Like, you know, I'm preaching this Sunday. Why don't you come? Right? What? I walked away from that conversation only talking about shoes. I tried justifying it, right? Well, I had to go pick up Scarlett. I didn't really have a super lot of time to, for a long conversation. I had to get her from daycare, you know. But the truth, of, the truth of the matter is, is I didn't have a lack of time. I was just too scared. I was too scared to tell him to fix his eyes on the Son of Man who takes away the sin of the world. I was too scared to tell him that. You know why I was too scared? Because we treat our faith sometimes like a pyramid scheme. We worry that we have to sell Jesus to someone and I'm here to remind you this morning, you don't have to sell Jesus to anyone, you just have to proclaim the gospel to everyone. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are good. We are thankful for you. We are thankful for the opportunity to be able to have passages like Numbers 21 and John chapter 3 that just show us that the whole Bible is about you, not just the New Testament. We love you and we are thankful for you and I pray that as we leave this morning that if we don't know you, we come to know you. That if we do know you, that we proclaim you to anyone who will listen. That we quite literally lift you up just as Moses did in the wilderness for everyone who is afflicted to look to the bronze serpent. I pray that we as believers in Bowling Green, Kentucky lift you up to proclaim to the nations that you save. We love you, we're thankful for you. It's in your son's heavenly name we do pray, amen.